Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And you probably know by this point how much Sarah and I love talking about interesting women in history. And our subject today is one of those. A bunch of people had suggested her when we were talking about doing a podcast on innovators. And that's because she was the world's very first computer programmer, Ada Lovelace. That sounds like it might be a little dull, but we promise she's a really interesting character. And maybe her nickname of sorts will help convince you of that. And that is the Enchantress of Numbers. So let's get a little bit into who she is. She started off with rather auspicious beginnings, if you're thinking just in terms of fame. She's the daughter of Annabella Milbank Byron and Lord Byron, the world-famous poet. Her parents, if you know anything about it, if you've listened to our podcast on Byron, they have a very unfortunate marriage, and they actually split up only a few months after her birth. And it was an awful, scandalous separation. She made all sorts of accusations after he left, and he put himself in self-imposed exile for the rest of his life. He never met his daughter. So it was just Ada and Lady Byron for her formative years, and Lady Byron was a tough customer. She was. Annabella styles herself as an intellectual and a moral person and an amateur mathematician, and This just doesn't go with Lord Byron's personality at all. He calls her the princess of parallelograms, which, as cool as it sounds, is not a compliment coming from him. Oh, no, he was very condescending about that kind of thing, despite the alliteration. Yeah, so her personality plus his really bad habits and a kind of crazy behavior during their marriage lead to their separation. So Lady Byron is absolutely terrified that her daughter, little Ada, is going to turn out to be like her father, the very scandalous Lord Byron. So she makes up her mind that maybe the best way to get around this is to make sure that Ada doesn't do anything with poetry, which might seem strange, but she settled out in that as the trait of Byron's that was most likely to lead his daughter into I don't know, perfidy and she's, she's going to drill the Byronic hero out of Ada, starting with poetry. So instead, Ada is going to learn math and music. And when Lady Byron finds out that Ada likes her geography lessons more than math, she not only gets rid of the geography lesson, she gets rid of the tutor. She's really serious about this. And she's a very strict lady. She punished her in ways that some of us are probably familiar with but aren't particularly nice, like solitary confinement. And she made her lie motionless and demanded that she write apologies, like, I, Ada, have not done the notes very well, but I'll try to do it better tomorrow. It's so and sad, isn't it? It is. Then it actually shows an aptitude for math. She's very good at it, and she gets sick for a long time in her childhood with measles. She's partially paralyzed. She ends up recovering, but during this time, she does not let her study lapse. And you have to put her in context. At the time, no one was particularly excited about women getting engaged in higher intellectual pursuits because, you know, they're poor, frail brains. What would happen? They might just overheat. But at the time, she is introduced to Mary Somerville, who is interested in the same things she is. And she's later called the queen of 19th century science, so that puts a little context around how important Mary Somerville was to the age. She really encouraged Ada's mathematical studies, uh, but also kind of helped her humanize technology, which ends up being what Ada is so known for, for understanding technology and all of its potential. 
And I love a quote from a letter that Ada wrote to Mary Somerville. I got a bunch of great quotes from an article by Paulette Walker-Campbell, where she says, My dear Mrs. Somerville, I'm afraid that when a machine or a lecture or anything of the kind comes in my way, I have no regard for time, space, or any other ordinary obstacles. I think you must be fond enough of these things to sympathize with my eagerness about them. She was really excited about learning, which is always refreshing in anyone else. In 1834, at one of Mrs. Somerville's dinners, Ada hears about one Charles Babbage's ideas for a new calculating engine called the analytical engine, and she's so interested in this. And she writes him a bajillion letters, as I put in my notes. They start up a very voluminous correspondence. And we'll talk about them a little more later, because this is how Ada makes her name for herself. But first, a year after getting this intellectual passion of her life, she meets and marries William King, the eighth Baron King, who's made an earl a few years later, making Ada the Countess of Lovelace. And they have three children, Byron, Annabella, and Ralph Gordon, but it is Lady Byron running this show, and she runs a tight ship. And this is kind of sad, too. It it seemed like Ada married in part to escape her domineering mother, but her husband makes, like, best friends with her. <laughs> William loves Lady Byron. <laughs> so then she's got two people to deal with. But even with a husband and three children under the age of eight, Ada is still really interested in her education. She starts studying math with Augustus de Morgan, who's later a highly regarded logician. And she makes some friends in the scientific field. Sir David Brewster, who invented the kaleidoscope. Charles Wheatstone, who invented an early telegraph, Michael Faraday, who discovered the electromagnetic field, and someone Sarah and I are acquainted with through our English major, Charles Dickens. Yeah. So she's got this illustrious group of of friends, much like her her father had, interestingly enough. Um, but at this point, we need to go back in time a little bit and tell you some more about Babbage and the history of computing before we can fully appreciate what Ada did. And since we're not Jonathan and Chris on tech stuff, <laughs> we can't give you the real techie version of this. So we'll give you the historical The historical version. side. You might think of computing as just part of the modern era, but the history goes back further than World War II. A lot further. Um, I, I read a really good Scientific American article on computing that suggested uh, the age of computing sprang from when people abandoned working numbers um, as a human pursuit. So basically decided that there could be something more than arithmetic in your head or scrawled on the paper. Um, something you could do with a machine. Instead. Yeah, and it could take less time and fewer people and um, calculations that would be impossible or would take forever would be easy to do. So now we're going to throw you a curveball and give you a name you probably weren't expecting the history of computing, <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, way back in 1790, Napoleon decided to switch the republic to the metric system. And Which we still haven't done yeah, in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, we need Napoleon's hairdressers here. So he commissions a set of mathematical tables, dozens and dozens of workers, They are the hairdressers, I just mentioned, out of work because when you don't have big (laughs) aristocratic hairdos anymore, you don't need lots of hairdressers. So all of these people are slaving away over setting up these mathematical tables and filling in what is called the tabla du cadastre. It takes 10 years uh, of just straight arithmetic. It's not particularly hard, but 
it's time consuming. Time consuming grunt work. Um, and by the time the table is ready to be published, there's no money. And so it sits in the Academy of Sciences for decades until 1819 when a young Charles Babbage comes along and finds it. And Babbage is an accomplished mathematician. He's founded the Analytical Society to introduce European mathematical developments to England, and he's helped create the first reliable actuarial tables along with some other stuff. Yeah, he later goes on to invent a type of speedometer and helps establish the modern postal system in England. So this is a real Renaissance man, and he's fascinated by these tables and decides that he's going to replicate Napoleon's project, but with machinery, and proposes the construction of the calculating engine in 1822. And he secures government funding for it. And by 1832, still sounds like a long time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, by 1832, he's made a functioning model, which he's calling the difference engine. And uh, on a side note, kind of, he publishes a book that makes him the world's leading industrial economist for a time. He's a busy man. He's I remember busy. learning about this in Dr. Richard Menke's class on Victorian information systems. The difference engine is really cool. But a year later, he abandons the difference engine and comes up with this proposal for the analytical engine because the difference engine could only do one task, and that was making these tables. But instead, the analytical engine could do any kind of math calculation. So we're, we're broadening our dreams here. Yeah, and it would have a processor and memory, user-operated input ability. I liked the list that you had for, for its functions. Yeah, it's, this is pretty much a, not a direct quote, but there were five parts. The input, the output, the control, the mill, and the store. So the control was a system of punch cards, which each had programs. And, and that was technology that was actually already available with the Jacquard loom, something you don't really think about connected no, to not at computing, all. but there you go. And then there was the mill, which was kind of like a CPU, and that's the place where the functions that you program on these cards would be done. And then the store was a lot like what we would think of as the memory, and that's where you would keep the results of the functions of the programs that you had done. So... Abandoning the difference engine, though, the, the table-making machine, was kind of an unpopular idea because he had gotten a, a working model, but he still had a lot to do on it. And the government wouldn't give him additional funding to make this new analytical engine yeah, idea. Which he, he holds a grudge about for a really long he time. He really does. <laughs> um, but he he still works on it. He writes a lot. He draws, he draws a lot of plans. And he ends up reporting on his new plan and the new engine in autumn of 1841. And when he gives this presentation in Turin, an Italian scientist named Louis Menabrea sees it and then in 1842 writes a summary of what he's seen and then also writes a paper about the ideas that Babbage had put forth. But he writes his paper en français. And this is when <laughs> Ada Lovelace comes back into the picture. Yeah, so Ada gets a hold of this paper and decides to translate it, and she shows it to Babbage, who suggests that she add her own gloss to it. Basically, she writes some notes and what she thinks of it, and her notes end up being three times longer than the original paper. Right, and they were published in a very prestigious journal, Taylor's Scientific Memoirs, under the initials AAL for Augusta Ada Lovelace, but... What she did was 
see all of the possibilities in this machine that Babbage didn't. He kept thinking of it as just something that would do calculations. He was the engineer, and he saw the machine and what he needed to do to make it happen. And he didn't see the future and all the potential that this function would have. And she conceived of it as what we think of as a computer and was saying things like, you could make music with this, you could make graphics Graphics. with this. She had... She had the big picture, not that yeah. it would come about for a long time, but she saw things there that he couldn't. And it's funny because a lot of the articles I was reading about it have some sexist language in there about how it was Ada's intuition that led her to see these things. And I'm going to go ahead and say it was not her it's intuition. Her brain, perhaps? It was her amazing <laughs> intelligence instead. She also suggested writing a plan for how the engine could calculate Bernoulli numbers. Um, and this is why she's regarded by some people, as the first computer programmer. And she, this is sort of the most famous quote from her notes, but she wrote, the analytical engine weaves algebraic patterns just as the jacquard loom weaves flowers and leaves. And uh, Ada, even though forced by her mother to never study poetry and <laughs> focus on math, she does use these very metaphorical um, descriptions for numbers and math and scientific concepts. She's definitely got the poet in her. She just applies it to, to something different. But Ada and Babbage have a bit of a falling out before these notes are even published. It's right before she's supposed to publish them, and he wants her to add a preface about the grudge we earlier mentioned about criticizing the British government for not giving him the money he wanted to finish his project. And she refuses. This isn't the sort of thing she wants not appended. What it's about. Well, no, and not the kind of thing she wants, you know, on what will be the greatest achievement of her life forever, this grudge of Babbage's. And he's really ticked off. He threatens to make sure her notes aren't published. And then later, I think, trying to make up for it, she offers to raise money for him to help build the engine, and he wouldn't even let her. So I'm going to go ahead and say someone didn't play well with others. Well, and Katie and I were talking earlier about how... He might have started to get uncomfortable with this close working relationship with a very famous woman who's the daughter of a very famous and very notorious man. Nearly everything I read about the two was clear to note right from the start that their relationship was not romantic. It was strictly professional. And I just thought that was a little odd that that even had to be mentioned. And I wondered how much of that has to do with Byron's reputation. Right, and who she is and and what she comes from. And I wonder also if he was a bit jealous because this was a triumph for her. And Babbage never ends up getting these engines built in his lifetime. Things He still doesn't get the money that he needs to do this. But after this, Ada is even more committed to her cause. She describes herself as more than ever now, the bride of science. And she wants to go on and do even greater things. But This seems to be where she peaked, and after that, her life goes a little bit into decline. And some of the sources I read, one seemed to suggest that maybe it was because of her falling out with Babbage, and she didn't have anyone to talk to about her exciting math and scientific pursuits. Her other friends weren't all that interested, or she didn't have anyone she could really collaborate with. in and collaborate with. And her, her husband is not much of a presence in her life, at this point, he's away a lot on business. And, um, yeah, she seems rather alone. But she has some ideas. She wants to get into medical science. 
but nothing seems to come to fruition, and she also starts to get ill and says that's making it harder for her to concentrate on her studies. And she gets flirty and a little bit scandalous, much like her father, Lord Byron. Her husband ends up burning, I think, at least a 100 of her letters, and they aren't getting along, so she's in trouble for something. And much like the Byronic hero who her mother so desperately tried to prevent her from coming, um, she just goes downhill in her health and starts drinking and doing opium, which was fairly common in the Victorian age. Um, she even starts gambling, trying to apply her <laughs> math ability to... Uh, race horses, and it and didn't. It, oh, completely backfires. She ends up in so much debt. Again, like her father, Lord Byron. We're coming full circle here. And she also realizes how much her mother has lied to her over the years and manipulated her when it comes to her father, and they have a big fight, and that's pretty much the end of their relationship, or the end of their good relationship. Yeah, her mother will find her way back in, as you'll see in a minute. Well, She develops cancer, and Annabella, her mother, really dominates the sick room. She chooses who can come and visit and hides the opium, which um, Ada is using by this point as a painkiller, hoping that Ada will suffer so much that she'll repent. But um, instead, she just suffers a lot and yeah. keeps hemorrhaging. She's in terrible pain. And I'm sure the bizarre medical quackery of the time didn't help her condition at all. Yeah. Bloodletting, not so great for cancer. So she dies at 37 and is buried next to her father. And Ada is a little bit obscure after her death, um, but Alan Turing, who developed a method to break the Enigma Code during World War II, used a bunch of her notes in his work after the war on computing and artificial intelligence. Yeah, and the U.S. Department of Defense ends up naming a software language Ada after her in 1979. Um and I, I like this note, too. In 1991, a machine was built to Babbage's specifications, the analytical engine, and it was accurate to 31 digits. And this machine that Babbage thought of and that Ada so cleverly described is the beginning of early digital computing, something that just sort of goes into what a lot of computer scientists will call a dark age for years, and it's eclipsed by mechanical analog devices until World War II when um, the power of digital sort of right. comes back to the forefront. So these two were, were progressive. I'd love to see a picture of that machine because I hope it looks all steampunk cool. I'm going to look that up when we get back uh, there's to my a, desk. There's a picture of his earlier engine, and it does not look like anything special. It's kind of like a big box with I fittings. will still be racing to the Googles to see... But Sarah and I were talking earlier about celebrity kids and how they either tend to follow in their parents' footsteps or go in the complete opposite and direction. We think it's we think it's a good idea to go in a different direction because if your parents are are famous musicians or something, and then maybe you, it's a it's a natural choice to want to be a musician too. But a lot of times they have a hard time living up to to the standard that their famous parent has set. Uh, so Ada really makes a name for herself by doing something completely different, or so it seems. But the funny thing is that Byron was really interested in science when he was at Cambridge, especially in telescopes. Yeah. He was a man of varied interests anyways. And Ada had written a letter to her mother in her 30s where she said, if you can't give me poetry, can't you give me poetical science? Which... 
Again, you've got the poetry and the science coming together, just like her father. If you want to learn more about where computers go from the Victorian age, check out our tech channel at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. 